Hi, I'm Valerie Moisel. Over 20 years ago, I co-founded my company with a creative spark, an entrepreneurial spirit, and a fearless attitude. I've long dreamed of sharing a space where I can interview successful women and hear them talk from their hearts about how they found their way. What I'm learning is it's not such a linear path. We all have what I call the four S's, the initial spark, the snag which trips you up, the shift that helps you find your way to the final S, success. No, not always in that order, and yes, sometimes the steps repeat. Together, we will learn from each other and be inspired. These are women who rule. This is She Dynasty. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another very special episode of She Dynasty. We're still in New York, and I am very excited about today's guest and her truly amazing and innovative company, because we're going to be talking about one of my favorite topics, financial independence. Such an important discussion for all women to have. And in my opinion, I don't think we have it enough. So today we're going to be chatting with Shannon McClay, the CEO and founder of The Financial Gym. The Financial Gym is a personal financial services company on a mission to educate people about their finances and help them feel empowered to make and reach their financial goals. And they're doing it in a very approachable way by taking a fitness-inspired approach, which is super unique and fun for the category. But first, I want to introduce you to our co-host, Stella Gold. Stella actually works at The Financial Gym as a level two trainer. Welcome, Stella. Thank you. How are you? Good. I'm so happy you could be here with us today. I'm super excited. So tell us, uh, what do you do at the financial gym? I am one of the financial trainers. I meet with clients from all shapes and sizes and the sense of their money journeys. They could be further along the path, maybe need some extra guidance, and I'm just here for it all. And what attracted you to this company? I sat in on a workshop with Shannon and was so impressed by her financial wellness pitch that I was like, I want to be, I want to be there. That's where I want to be. And I loved all the numbers that she presented to us of what it takes to be financially fit. That's, I wanted to do whatever it took to be there myself and also empower others to get there as well. And I understand your passion for your job came from your unfortunate and personal situation. Can you tell us what happened? Yeah. So three years ago, or a little over three years ago, my dad unexpectedly passed. And I'm sorry to hear that. Thank you. Thank you. Um, and at that moment, it was very like a sh- it was a shock. Obviously, it's unexpected. But I I guess I assumed that I wouldn't be the one that would be managing everything. But of course. I was the you know benefits side, the tax situation because that also comes into play when you do have beneficiary packages. I right, guess. I'm sure it was a very steep learning curve. Yeah, every, all this jargon, it was very overwhelming, and that personal journey started there, where I was like, I need to become financially literate so I don't feel powerless again. So that event made you realize that you just really needed to, to have a better kind of command of everything and all things kind of financial. Yeah, yeah. And I wanted to find someone that cut the jargon and was just honest and real about all these financial words that are intended to kind of scare us away. So I met Shannon. (laughs) So you're not scared anymore. No, not at all. And so now you want to empower other women to learn what you have from her. Yeah, exactly. 
I love that. Well, yeah. let's uh, let's hear from Shannon herself. Thank you. Hi, Shannon. Hi. Welcome to She Dynasty. So happy to be here. I'm sure everyone listening is eager to hear um, how you got where you are today. Mm-hmm. And like I said earlier, I was really looking forward to this interview is it's so important, you know, here at She Dynasty to find truly inspiring women in great leadership positions, you know, who teach and mentor other women. And obviously you are doing, you know, that and so much more. And, you know, the topic of financial independence is so important and, and often, you know, too often a very difficult and overwhelming conversation for many people to have, not just women, especially for those who feel like they can never achieve it. Mm-hmm. You know, I have a lot of kind of young um, people that I mentor coming to me with, you know, what seem to be really simple um, financial situations that they've gotten themselves in. And I'm always just so kind of like wowed by how not obvious the answers are, you know. Yeah. We always wonder why these things aren't taught in school. Mm -hmm. You know, everyone has that conversation, why that's not, you know, a course in high school or a major course in college. But, you know, obviously you're here trying to fill the gap. So thank you for that. Yeah, happy to be here. Yeah, the the two words we hear all the time, I say the two words we hear at the financial gym are fear and shame around money. Um, I'm afraid I'll never repay my student loan debt. I'm afraid I can't pay my rent this month. I'm scared that, um, you know, I might lose my job or I'm ashamed I have credit card debt. I'm ashamed I have student loan debt. I'm ashamed I'm not saving for retirement. And we hear all these things. And like most emotions, like fear and shame, most of it's just in our head. Um, but but they're real. They're real to us. And, you know, they're real to your employees, like you were talking about. And when I think about it, you know, the idea of fear and shame running through us because money is our DNA, whether we like it or not. We we need it to exist in this world and, and to function and and obviously to gain financial independence. But to exist day to day, we need money. And to think about our core DNA of our blood being filled with fear and shame, it just motivates me every single day to to build this this business and keep building it and and doing what we're doing because my mission is truly to to remove the fear and shame around money and replace it with empowerment. So, do you consider yourself kind of a, a younger, kind of fresher Suze Orman? <laughs> I do. I I am a version of Susie. You know, there's uh, so many different. Um, personal finance personalities. I uh, I did always resonate with Susie in a way because she was a financial advisor. She started as a financial advisor. Some personal finance experts start in different ways. Maybe they're, maybe they're just journalists or things like that. I do think there is something unique to sitting across the table from an individual or individuals and hearing their financial story, which you do as a financial advisor. I think you get a unique perspective because somebody who's just saying their own personal journey, well, that's great for you. Like, pay off all your debt, like, great, good for you. You went on, you know, just like going on a cleanse, you know, it might work for some people, but like cleanses don't work for me. So I need to, I need a different option. Right. Understood. Well, I love what you're doing. Um, You're truly an entrepreneur because what you're doing is you're taking kind of an old stodgy category and kind of flipping it on its head, Mm -hmm. you know, almost like what Uber did with taxis. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, that's really refreshing. And so we're going to get into a little bit about how your company works. Um, You know, you've created a super kind of unique and kind of cool approach. And I'm super eager to talk about it. But before we do, I want to get a little bit of background on you. Yeah. What led me here? 
Yes. Um, <laughs> so you went to an all-girls Catholic school, yeah. and you got a business degree from Wake Forest University. Mm-hmm. Tell us a little bit about your time in college. So I was very driven. I've always been very driven. Um, but I went to college knowing I was going to be a business major. I said, I need a practical career. Um, I need to make money. That was my main focus. I knew right away going in I was going to be a business major. I was a business major. I had visions of a career in investment banking. I had a internship at Merrill Lynch, two internships at Merrill Lynch when I was in college, and then um, ended up taking a job with Bank of America on the trading floor in North Carolina when I was 22. And I tell people all the time, I had no intention of changing the world at that point. I just wanted to make money. Were there any sparks um, either in your childhood or your college years that um, were kind of obvious that someday you might kind of run your own business or be a CEO of a company? Yeah, none. None, Valerie. <laughs> I mean, I tell people all the time, too, because we have a lot of clients. We have clients. Our clients' ages range from 17 to 74. And um, we obviously have a lot of younger clients in working with us. And a lot of times they feel this, like, disappointment in life or this dissatisfaction. And they, they're not sure what, you know, their purpose is and where they're going. And I always say, I didn't have the idea for the financial gym until I was 33. Uh, so you got plenty of time. You know, just enjoy the ride. You're learning lessons along the way. But I had no inkling whatsoever. I was always a real hard worker. I started my first, had my first real job when I was 14 working in a bagel store. I worked the 6 a.m. to 2 p.m. shift um, on the weekends and through college. And I worked uh, at Best Buy when I was in college. And I um, I remember interviewing with Career Services when I was doing my resume. And they said, I said, I have this Merrill Lynch job, so that's going to help me get the investment banking job. And they said, what else are you doing? I said, I'm just working at Best Buy as a cashier. No big deal. Between 35 and 40 hours a week. And they said, wait, you mean you work a full-time job and you're going to college and you have a 3.6 GPA as a business major? You need to put that on your resume. And I didn't think anything of it. I just said, this is just, I I don't know what I'd do if I was relaxed. And, um, (laughs) And of course, every investment bank, Goldman Sachs, Morgan Stanley, Merrill Lynch, they all asked me about the job at Best Buy. They were like, how are you working 40 hours a week? So your first job out of college was... In, on the trading floor, Bank of America was in a, a corporate investment banking job, the 90-hour-a-week job. Um, I was on a trading floor with 265 people. There were only 15 women on the trading floor. And I, I laugh thinking about it. it we all, we all, all women know that most women's restrooms always have lines in them for, you know, no matter where you are. Uh, my favorite women's restroom ever is the ones on um, trading floors because there's no one in them. Right. So you always get a stall. And it's kind of still that way, right? <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, it's still that way. Do you think it's shifting or changing at all? I, I honestly don't. I, so this was 18 years ago, and um, and I know the inherent flaws of it, and I, I talk about it a lot. The overall structure is just not a – it's not an environment that's conducive for, for most women, and uh, frequently they leave. I, I talk about the, the trading floor or an all-male dominated industry, you know, 85 percent are, are men. I, I talk about it like colonization. It's like you, you want to – you decide you, you're a woman, you want to move to France because you love the culture and – you know, the lifestyle, then you move to France and realize 85% are men and they all speak French and you want to speak English. And it's really hard to communicate. So one of three things happens. Either A, you start speaking French because you're like, that's what I need to do. But that's a woman who's not really comfortable and, and, you know, you're not, you're kind of trying to be this guy and not really yourself and you're this altered version of yourself. 
Or B, you're like, forget this. I could live anywhere else in the world and speak English. Why am I going to stay here and like hit my head against the wall? Or three, you colonize and you build this small community of English-speaking people. You know, I mean, there's some men there that speak English, and 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 then you kind of find this like little happy corner. But it's it's really difficult until you Struggle. find the colony. Yeah, yeah the colony, colony is hard to find, so it's isolating. Wow, what a great analogy. You know, it's so funny, Valerie. I, I that that hit me like a few like ten years ago when I was on the trading floor thinking about it, and I tell every guy that, and they're like, I don't get it. And then I tell every woman, they're like, oh, like, I totally get that. I tell guys, they're like, I don't get it. I'm like, that's because you speak French. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you eventually worked your way up to being a vice president and a financial advisor. Mm -hmm. And obviously, it's super hard to find uh, female financial advisors. Why is that today still? Kind of similar with the uh, with the colonization, although interestingly, so I became a financial advisor because at the time I needed one, and I was working at Merrill Lynch with financial advisors, and I thought it'd be really easy to find one I liked, and they all felt the same to me. They all looked the same to me, and I felt really unfair. So I was friends though with a manager of a, a branch, and he said I'd hire you in a heartbeat. And I said great. And then I started really thinking about it. I, should, I shouldn't complain. You know, be the change you want to see. So I became a financial advisor. I ended up finding out a year later, I interviewed with eight men to get the job as a financial advisor. Seven out of the eight of them said no to hiring me. Interesting. The eighth was the one who said I'd hire you in a heartbeat. And, and when I started, he said, I, I, he said, I used a chip on you. And I thought it was to pay me more because I negotiated for a higher base pay. And then I found out a year later, the chip was just to hire me in general. And I said, and the interesting thing is I found this out because the recruiter, head recruiter was interviewing me because they wanted to know how to copy me because I was doing so well. And they said, how do we hire more people like her? And this recruiter said to me, she said, you know, it's really interesting. I give the same resume to hiring managers who are all men at Merrill Lynch. I give the same resume, what feels to me the same resume. And they consistently pick the man over the woman. And... You know, I'm I'm just baffled by that, and I, I it's it's what most financial services industries are looking for in a financial advisor, and most of them are looking for somebody who can sell you anything. You know that that sales approach is just a reality to the business, and um, so people ask me a lot, "What are your financial trainers' backgrounds?" And I said, "What's your financial advisor's background?" Because I was one, and I was in my starting class. I literally worked with two guys who sold cars, wow. literally sold cars before wow. they were in the Maryland training program. Interesting. So a funny story about me in my um, early twenties. We had a family friend who um, was very, very wealthy, and I was very um, kind of wowed by him and all his success. He was, you know, really hard worker, had multiple companies, and so I went to him at a family party. And I said, you know, do you have a financial advisor? And, um, you know, at first I tried to find my own and I I was curious if there were any female. I couldn't find any at the time. It Mm -hmm. just did not exist. And he said, yeah, I have a financial advisor. And I said, you know, can you give me his his phone number? And he kind of laughed at me and he said, my guy's not going to deal with you. And I said, what do you mean? He said, yeah, he only deals with very high net worth Mm -hmm. individuals Mm -hmm. and you're really cute, but you're like 23 and he's not going to deal with you. Mm -hmm. And so I didn't give up and I was really persistent. And I said, listen, you know, just ask a favor. I just want to meet with him. Can you just do me a favor? This, you know, this man was a close enough um, family friend for me to kind of push him. And so he called his financial advisor and asked if I could meet with him. And the guy thought it was really cute. So he did a favor and kind of called me in. And when I came in, um, you know, he asked me what my goals were. And, you know, I didn't have a lot of money. I had a small little savings. And I told him that I was determined to, you know, make it as big as the family friend who had, uh, 
um, kind of got uh, sent me there. Mm-hmm. And so um, I told him that, you know, if you're good enough for him, you're good enough for me. And he said, okay. And he goes, well, what are you looking for in a financial advisor? And I said, well, I said, I want somebody who not only knows how to make money for them, you know, for their clients, but for themselves. So I asked him if he would be willing to show me his personal portfolio. Wow. Good for you. It was interesting. I, I can't believe I asked him that. I no, literally that's actually the number one question I tell you people you should ask your financial advisor. I mean, I, <laughs> I didn't I don't even know how that popped in my brain, but yeah. I was just like, can I see your own personal mm-hmm. portfolio? And he was so shocked by the question that I was this kind of young girl that was bold enough to ask that. And I remember he turned the computer screen around. He logged in. And he showed me how much money he had invested and what he, his net worth was. And I was like, okay, you're hired. He's like, wait a minute. I don't know if I want you. Anyways, <laughs> um, fast forward, he's still my financial advisor. Wow. Yes. Look he, at that. So he's a great guy. So Yeah. They're, yeah. They're, they're not all bad. So for people listening, I don't, I don't bash the advisory business. I, I, I came from it. But, um, but similar to what the experience you had, Valerie, I was on his side of the table and meeting people like you, who I call them my pro bono clients, and they wanted to speak to me and talk to a financial advisor and to work with me when you're when I was at Merrill Lynch, you had to have two hundred fifty thousand in assets. Right, that was it. That was the minimum. Literally, you didn't count as a client unless you had two hundred fifty thousand in assets. Oh, he only did it for me as a favor yeah. to um, the family friend. I right. mean, there was no chance he would have done that for me. But it was it was just not an option to get a financial advisor mm-hmm. if you didn't have that kind of money in the bank. So. No, it still isn't for many people. Well, except for now. So as uh, so as you reflect back, you know, on the 13 years you were working for larger corporations, what were some of the, you know, big takeaways or things that you learned that you kind of carried forward into what you do today? Yeah, there's so many takeaways. And that's what I was saying about people who are frustrated um, with where they are, not having their purpose. I, for 13 years, really, I, I tell people it's just making money. And um, but I reflect back on that a lot, actually. And I, did, I learned so much along the way. And I remember one of my mentors, who was actually the first investor in the financial gym, I remember him one time telling me I was so frustrated in a particular situation at the bank. Working for a large corporation can be very frustrating in a lot of different ways, especially when you feel like you're, you're, you know, you're in a box, but you want to get out of the box. And I was having one of those moments with him. And he said, Shannon, take a deep breath. You are exactly where you're supposed to be. And you're learning in this moment. And you know, 27-year-old me was like, Bob, you have no idea. Um, now I look back, I'm like, Bob was so smart. Mm-hmm. I was I was learning. In those frustrations and those challenges and the people interaction, everything is just building to the next thing. So I understand that um, during your time there, you were doing some pro bono work and you had kind of your first big spark that led you to want to change everything. Tell us that story. Yeah. So when I was at Merrill Lynch, I was building, I was doing really well. I was one of the top uh, advisors in New York, the new advisory class. And um finding the high net worth individuals. But I was also, I tell people, finding, finding this pro bono business. So people like 23-year-old Valerie who wanted to talk to me. And um, and I was helping them on the side. I couldn't take them as clients, but I didn't have a place to send them. So I said, let me just do a plan for you. I mean, I have the time. How did you find these people? They were referred to me. So um, because I didn't look and feel like the traditional advisor, there was like, oh, talk to Shannon. And, um, and I laugh thinking about it now because I was literally my mentor at, as a Merrill Lynch advisor would tell us, 
make sure you pre-screen all your calls. Make sure they have money before you even have coffee with them. And I said, I'm not going to do that. I I have time. I can have coffee with anybody. I'm not that important. So I took every meeting and was meeting these pro bono clients. And literally, I I said I became the worst financial advisor ever because I loved the people with no money versus my (laughs) pro bonos versus the people with money. And it literally came to a week of my life that um, that was my aha week. And the week started with a quarterly review with a couple, and they had over – million dollars with me. They were two um, two individuals making over six figures. And we were going to their portfolio. It was down 3% because the markets were down. And, and they were just complaining about where their money went. And I spent an hour of my life making them feel better about being a little less rich. And it felt really soul-sucking. And I thought, I guess this is my job is to make them feel better, right. even though I knew all these pro bono people. And then literally two days later, I had a meeting with a pro bono client, did a financial plan for her, just bullet points. Here's what you need to do with your credit cards and student loans and all these things. And at the end of the meeting, she said, you know, you're saving my life, right? Aww. And I was like, oh, this feels so much better than that. And that was my aha of I have to create a company for people like her, like the majority of America, because every financial services company wants the people with money. Nobody wants to help the people trying to build the money and figure it out. Except for you. Except for me. I love them. <laughs> <laughs> so you made a major shift mm, and you yeah. left a very solid career. Yeah. Um, and you took a major risk yes. to start your own company. So I just want you to walk um, our listeners through kind of the emotions of a decision that is that big. Because yeah. it's, it's a big deal. It was huge. It was huge. I literally, it was literally the lightning hit. And I was like, it, everything became really clear to me, though, that it was... It was the financial gym because I was on this weight loss journey as well. And I thought there's so many places I could go to get physically healthy. But if people want to get financially healthy, where would they go? And I thought you go to a financial gym. And um, and I just had this overwhelming feeling like no one's going to do this. No one's going to build this. It has to be me. It just it had to be me. And I knew exactly what it was going to be. And that was uh, six years ago this month. I had that aha moment. And I, I left Merrill Lynch. Say and I tell people all the time. I was like knowing in my head this is the most brilliant idea ever. Um, financial gyms across the country. It's gonna be like H and R Block, but fun and cool across the country in no time. Um, and uh, it was so clear to me. And then I leave, and then the reality hits me because you know of of, of the just starting the the grind and how do you build it? And I I wanted to raise money right away because I'd been around money and I right. thought I'm just I know people with money. I'll just raise money. And the advice I got was prove that the model works, like bootstrap it. Like yeah, So many people said to me, you're going to help people know money. What the heck? You know, I, I tell people in that period of time in my life, my parents had no idea what I was. They thought I lost my mind. They I didn't know sure. what to tell their friends that I was. I left Maryland and they're like, Shannon left Maryland to help people with no money. Like what what kind of business model is Sounded this? like you went crazy. I literally went crazy. Like I, I was off in the desert, like crazy person, like helping. You know, I'm, I'm here to help everybody. I mean, literally, they thought I lost my mind. And it was so clear to me, though. And I um, and I just started like one at a time. And the first uh, gym client started with me five and a half years ago. And she was in a book club with my sister. And she told my sister she wanted help with student loans. And, and then that led to client two and client three. All of them are still clients. And my clients two and three of the gym, they started dating. They just Aww. they just they got married. They just had their first baby, Alice. And I got the email from them. And I like cried like a baby. I felt like I was an auntie. I was like, we, I've been there since you were dating, since he saved for the ring. And um, That's amazing. Yeah. And those were the things, those stories. That, Why that you helped clients. him save for the ring? Um, the first meeting with client, client number three was Tim. Um, 
his first meeting, he said he wanted to save for the ring for Jen, who introduced me to him. And I said, you, yeah, and he had a problem with Uber. He had a problem with taxis. He had a problem with eating out. And I said, you you gotta, you can't borrow money from your parents to get a ring for your girlfriend. Right. I'm not going to let you. You got to man up. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think there's a very fine line between crazy and brilliant. Yeah. So I think that's, (laughs) you're on, you're on the right side of that for sure. So obviously there's a lot of hustle and stress that comes with uh, starting your own company. A lot of people think entrepreneurship is, you know, really cool and fun. What qualities do you think someone has to possess to be able to really kind of make it through? If someone's like yeah. thinking about starting their own company, just because that's such a trend right now. I know. We have a lot of clients at the financial gym. I say our number one employer at the gym is self-employed. Um, so I think it's great. I think there's like now, you know, with technology and different types of jobs, I think the barriers to entry are pretty low. But um, my advice to people who want to start a business, you have to have a very high level of optimism and you have to be a glasses half full person because no matter how great your idea is, no matter how much capital you have, no matter what you're building, there are going to be down days. And no matter what, you are always going to have setbacks. You're always going to be knocked down somehow. And if you truly don't believe that, you know, tomorrow's going to be a better day and you're going to get better every single day and have that confidence, then um, you're going to get swallowed up by the by the business. So I understand that for two years, once you started, you were trying to figure out kind of your business model, your business plan. Mm-hmm. You know, um, did you have any help? How did you figure it out? It was just me um, and just figuring out with my clients how much they were going to pay. What did it look like? What kind of services to use? Uh, it was all just kind of figuring it out. In those first two years, I I didn't take money, outside money from investors, but I had to help pay. I was married at the time with my child, and we had a home. And um, and so I was going through my personal life savings, literally, to Because I was, you know, the, I was figuring out the price point of the gym, and I didn't want it to be this expensive thing. Most financial planners, if you didn't have the assets, they were charging $2,500 for a year, a year or a minimum, an upfront fee just to get a financial plan. And I was trying to create this more cost-effective financial plan. So I was doing financial plans for clients for $250 or, wow. um, you know, $85. So obviously my revenues were not that strong for the first two years as I was But you had an intro. You had people that wanted your service. Yeah. And that's what got you through because you okay. realized that people needed this. They kept coming. So you had to figure it out. And they kept staying too. So it was like I had so many times, of course, in the, those first two years, where I was like, I'm just going to go back and work for the bank. What what the heck am I doing? I am the crazy person, right? right? Um, what am I doing? And it would be literally in those moments, I'd have a client text me and say, my credit score went up 90 points, oh. or I just hit my $10,000 And that would pull you through. Pull me back in all the time, every time. So I understand that if um, two years later, you received your first $100,000 angel investor check. And yeah. I can't imagine how, um, how much confidence that must have given you that yeah. someone really believed in your idea. Mm-hmm. Um, can you elaborate on that milestone and yeah. who gave you that first check? Yeah. So, I, so I, I'm two years in. I literally remember the conversation telling my now ex-husband, uh, there's literally nothing. I haven't, I've gone through my entire 401k. I have nothing left to my name. I had life insurance, thank God. Um, I told him I was worth more dead than alive. Um, <laughs> I said, I have nothing. What do I do? And he, but he saw the, he saw over the two years, like, he's like, you're onto something. He's like, well, so we'll use my IRA, which 
we don't obviously advise this to clients, but um, that was the choice. And so right after that moment of, of, it was a very low moment of telling my ex that um, I had coffee with a former boss of mine at Merrill Lynch, the one who told me I was learning in that moment, Bob, and he um, had just gotten let go from Merrill Lynch. And he said, I have the severance payout you know, what do you think I should do with the money? And I was like, I think you should invest in a small financial services company. <laughs> That's brilliant. <laughs> That's going to change the world. And he said, yeah, I'm going to do it. And I, it was literally, it was literally that easy, but it wasn't that easy. And I tell people this a lot. I've, I, at that point I'd known Bob for, for 10 years. Um, he was my mentor. He saw my work ethic. He knew when I left Merrill to start building this, he said, I think you're onto something here. Nice. And, um, and he sent me my first $100,000 check and an envelope that said, knock him dead. Oh, I love that. Love Bob. Yeah. Bob, thank you for doing that. Yeah, what incredible, thanks, incredible story. Because <laughs> I think it's it's really a cool moment to think about the fact that your mentor was the person who invested in and believed in you just mm. because they saw, you know, your work ethic and mm. all that you put in and all that you uh, learned. Yeah, you never know where life's going to lead you. And like I said, I never knew I was going to start a business. It wasn't till that aha moment that I it all came to me. But, um, and I never thought Bob was going to invest in the business. I mean, we I started I was you know working for him in my career, and you know I and I tell people that you just never know where your network is going to come through for you, especially if you want to build a business. Your network is really like building a garden. You know, you have to plant a lot of seeds. You've got to tend to them, give them some water and sun, you know, check in with people or like be a good person, you know, do the right things. That's like the building of the garden. And then at some point that garden is going to bear fruit or vegetables. And at some point you're going to need to go to the garden for food. And you've been building that up over that period of time. So that garden is there for you to take from it. So you can't build a garden overnight and, you know, it takes time and love and energy, but it's worth it to do. It. I love your analogies. You really like <laughs> illustrate it so well. Beautiful. So soon after this, um, I understand that you divorced. You became a single mom entrepreneur. Yeah. Um, did the pressure of um, the startup play a role in your decision to divorce? No, actually. Well, it was it was a conflict when I left Merrill. He was not a big fan of it, but then actually he really got on board. And um, you know, we just had a number of underlying issues. Actually, interestingly enough, money was an issue. Um, and I tell people a lot that. Um, when you work with our trainers, that sometimes a lot of times it's like couples therapy for couples. And I wish that, you know, I, we had me because that was certainly a challenge, you know, that just things built up over the years. But he is still a partner in the business. And um, nice. and we're like so rock star co-parenters. Yeah. So. And we didn't do I told him we, did, we didn't do marriage well, but we, we're like rocking divorce. Like we're going to do that really well. I love to hear that. Yeah. All right. So you hit um, kind of a major snag. The company had kind of been up and running for a little while. And um, all of a sudden you realized that you had run out of money. Mm -hmm. You had $200 in your personal bank account, $500 in your business account. Mm -hmm. Were you going to give up at that point? No. So this point, I had raised some more money. I hired my first trainer, Bridget. And she left a job paying her like $85,000 a year working for a hedge fund. And I asked her to come work for me and make 50. Um, and then she said, can I make 70? I said, well, I'm paying myself 60. I can't pay you more than me. So I, I paid her 60. And um, 
And I told her, I said, I guarantee you I will pay you for a year. I don't know what will happen after that. I really have no idea, but I'll pay you for a year. And that was obviously a motivation. I said, I got to pay Bridget for a year. She took this leap of faith on me. So we started the process of raising more money. And I was in the process of speaking to people, but money takes a while to raise. You can't force people with a gun to their head to write you a check. So it was March 15th of uh, 2017. And I remember I, I paid payroll. I paid Bridget paid myself. And then I had to pay the gym right back because the gym had more bills than I did. And in that night, I remember I went to bed. There was It was like in the transfer of money. I literally had $200 in my oh, personal man. account. I had $500 in the gym account. And I cried myself to sleep. I mean, right? Like what else do you do? And I, But I didn't cry saying like, woe is me. What is this? I, I was like this just kind of like, I know I'm on the right thing. I know more like more than ever every day, no more ne- than ever. It's just ever a hard to reality thing. to see that. It was rough. Yeah, it was It was not. Cash flow issues that yeah, businesses deal with. They all deal with it. Every startup deals with it. And, and um, there's no shame in that. That is the, the you're starting a business. It, you are going to go through money. And uh, the next day I had a good friend say, I'm going to write you. I'm going to give you $10,000 because I'll be so angry if this thing fails because <laughs> you've been working so hard. And then. On that Friday, it was it was March seventeenth. It was St. Patrick's Day. I know because I'm Irish, and I always say the luck of the Irish. I had a fifty thousand dollar wire come in from a guy that I had been talking to about investing, and I didn't know it was going to fund that day. Um, and then by it the end of the year, seems we just show up right when it needs it to. Does. It's like it, I always tell people that actually. I tell entrepreneurs, it, they, you get to these friction points. It, it's like the universe is going to give you this roadblock and it's a point of friction and it's like testing you like can you push through the friction or are you going to give up on the friction you push through and and there you are at the other end with and i'm sure it's happened multiple times multiple times right yeah but but now you've bounced back and your company is doing great in 2017 you raised 1.8 million to Mm -hmm. build your first prototype gym and in 2018 you opened your first official like brick and mortar location in in new york Mm -hmm. tell us about that the gym the gym it is a, a real location we have our physical location in New York. We will have other locations beyond New York, but right now we're in New York and um, we work with clients virtually too. So um, we actually right now work with clients in 47 states in the District of Columbia, but it's a physical location. What is a financial gym? I had people over the years ask me, what is it? What is it like? And I tell people it's not treadmills and barbells. It is wine and Kleenex. That is our workout equipment. Um, We are talking about money. We're talking about the ultimate taboo topic. We want people to feel like it's a warm, safe, welcoming space that um, there is no judgment. You're going to work through your fear or shame, and you're going to find your way through empowerment. And um, that is – that's the gym. Awesome. All right. So I want to talk a little bit about the kind of concept around mm-hmm. the financial gym. Mm-hmm. Um, you mentioned earlier that you went through um, some weight loss. Was that part of the inspiration for this big idea? It definitely is. It's funny. I So there are a lot of things that led to building this the gym, and um, all of them are very truly from my experience. And for me, I after I had my son, I was over 200 pounds and I progressively gained weight and then just like kept it. And I just thought, this is me. This is the new me. I'm, I'm, you know, a size 14 and this is me. And I, I didn't feel good about it. I felt like out, it wasn't a good experience, but I, and I tried different things, but I didn't really try different things. You know, I, I remember I was like, I'm going to do Nutrisystem now. And I remember that box came and it was all 
like powdered goods and things. And I was like, oh, I can't. No wonder why people lose weight. They just don't eat the food. And um, and I had so many different experiences I, that I tried things for a week or two. It didn't work. And then I literally said I need to do something different now. And I, I tried Weight Watchers and, and my now ex-husband did it with me. And that was what worked for me. And then it, And then when I was plateauing on the weight loss, I started working out more. And it was Weight Watchers and working out was what worked for me. Every, things work differently for different people, and um, but that was that was what worked for me. And what why Weight Watchers worked so well for me was that I like to drink. Like I like to eat pizza, I like to eat Chinese food, and so you know, to tell me I, I can't have carbs or I have to have these different things, like it's a non-starter for me, and I need to be able to have everything in moderation. So, knowing that if I want to go out this weekend, I'm going to have a glass of wine or two or three or four. Um, I know I have to eat a lot of salads throughout the week and chicken and the right things because then that gives me space to do it. And um, so many of so many of the the lessons learned from that experience are definitely what have been applied to helping our clients. So uh, we see so many analogies with getting physically healthy to getting financially healthy. And it's the same thing with our clients. Like some of them, you know, they don't want to be on a budget. I tell people budgets are like diets. No one wants to be on one. Right. You know, so you're not alone. And so it's figuring out what how programs going to work how to well prior- for the client. Right. And how to prioritize. So mm-hmm. not taking things away, but just making people understand yeah. how to prioritize their lives and get to their goals. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, for those listening, I, am, I highly encourage everyone to check out your website because it's done in such a fun and approachable way, which, you know, a lot of times these kinds of of um, topics seem super overwhelming, mm-hmm. um, but you get there and it's just, you know, super easy to navigate and the language is written in a way that's, you know, very approachable. You also have something called a BFF that you're assigned. Can you talk yeah. about the BFF? Yeah, BFF, your best financial friend. That's uh, Stella is one of those. Um, that's our financial trainers and uh, and they all do wonderful things. At the end of the day, our financial trainers are really financial planners. But we want to make it truly approachable, and we've seen a lot of the barriers um, sometimes with with getting help, you know, getting money help, and um, and really the best way that our clients have described their financial trainers is the best financial friend. Imagine your BFF knew all these things about credit scores and like how what you should do with your tax refund and how you should think about your retirement savings versus student loan payments. And that's truly what my trainers are. They are the the educated BFF, who your ride or die, your person who is there for you through it all without judgment, but has like that financial knowledge. And, and sometimes, can... sometimes it's hard to have those conversations with your, your true best friends or oh, yeah. your family in life because you're embarrassed or yeah. you don't want people to know your personal situation. We um, going back to the fear and shame. Everybody feels it. And the first session at the financial gym, we call the financially naked session. And um, we call it that because we know money is taboo. And we say we're more comfortable getting physically naked with somebody than financially naked. And we have couples who've been married 10 years with three kids who don't know what's in each other's bank accounts when they come in for a first meeting. And it's that that discomfort with yourself financially. And so that first meeting with your BFF, your trainer, um, you are going to share everything. You're going to share what's in your bank account, what's what's on the credit cards, with student loans. And for a lot of clients, that's that's the most anxious, highly anxious moment. Some of them don't even come in for the first session because they're so scared of Does it. Does anybody ever hide something from you and like kind of fess up in the yes. third, third or fourth ses- session? <laughs> yeah. 
yeah, yeah. Those, are, those are always fun because you know your first session you're just getting to know each other it's right. like dating right so you're right. like they told me they weren't going to judge me but I'm not really sure one of my well one of my favorites was this woman she started with me three years ago and she said I said how much credit card debt do you she's like oh like 10,000 and you know I said personal loan she said one and you know she knew the student loans and then we have a system that's like mint.com where our clients put all their bank accounts in and oh, all that nice. information and the trainers can see it and the clients can see it and so when we had our first quarterly review I told her so do you realize you have twenty one thousand wow. dollars of credit card debt she's like yeah, I kind of she forgot a few credit cards. She didn't look at it that yeah, way. Yeah, <laughs> she forgot a few credit cards. But the funny thing, she put it in the system. And then I said, do you realize you have like 18000 of personal loans? You said you had five. She's like, yeah, that's probably right. And yeah. uh, I said, okay, we just got a little more work to do. No nice. big deal. I think one of the things that I love about this is it's not just an app. You have a physical, real human being who yeah. is guiding you. So yeah. I think it's really important for everyone to understand that. Mm-hmm. What would you say for those listening who think that, um, wow, this sounds great, but I still, I can't afford it. I live, you know, pretty much paycheck to paycheck. I have very little left over. I'm not sure this is how I'd spend my money. That's one of my favorite questions, Valerie, because I say if you can't afford it and if you can't afford $99 a month, you need to join this gym. Because you are, you, we always can find holes and gaps in the budget. And what I say, seventy percent of the population is living paycheck to paycheck. A big issue we see, especially with women, is that the paycheck's too small. And sometimes you just don't know what that paycheck needs to be. That's part of our process. Is we're literally going to tell you how much you need to make for everything to come together. So, um, you know, we're going to make it work. And we always say our fee is part of your budget. So we want, we're the last ones that are going to make you financially less well off. And we just added this last summer and I'm super proud of it, but we have a money back guarantee. And I, cause I stand so much behind what we do in our process that um, if you stay with us for six months, cause sometimes it takes a while to get financially healthy, just like it takes physically healthy. Stay with us for six months. Do at least half of what your trainer says to do and meet with your trainer four times. We will, if you are not better off by your net worth, then we will give you your money back. And I'm happy. I love that you're backing your your word. Oh, yeah. I believe so much in what we do. Why would anyone not try this? That's what I say. I have a few people I'm going to call when I get back. (laughs) Make some recommendations (laughs) because they keep bugging me and I don't have the answers. Um, Okay. I know that you, this is kind of open to everyone, you know, Mm -hmm. male, female, but um, I know more women are attracted to your company. Mm -hmm. Um, Do you think that's because you're a female CEO? Do you think it plays a role in the decision? Uh, What I I lovingly say is that uh, 95% of our inbound traffic calls and things like that are women. Um, but 60% of our population is female. So I tell, I say people, men don't stop and ask for directions. So they're not going to ask for money help, but their girlfriends, wives, fiancés, sisters Got do. It. And the funny thing is, I, guys just, they're not as in tune to, I think that there is, they think they know more, they think they have a better grasp. And I think women are just more comfortable saying, I don't get it. Like, and I don't feel comfortable. And then the best is that all the trainers love saying, like, we love when we went over the guys. Because they're usually, the first session is like, what did she drag me into? Like, where am, why am I here? And then they realize, oh, wait, you're going to get us on the same page. We're going to be investing. We're going to be saving more. Um, and then they become then they become super fans. We love it. I also read somewhere that uh, men are obviously much more comfortable asking for raises at work than women. Mm-hmm. Why do you think that is? And what's your advice for women who are just too scared to ask? Yeah, so we see it all the time. I, I say salary negotiation is is like a muscle that you you have to flex and men naturally flex that muscle. They just it's just a muscle they're like really confident flexing and women are very uncomfortable with that. But 
you just have to flex it, and it's 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 practice. It'll it takes practice. Um, we do salary negotiation. That's part of the trainer's training. Um, they work. So with you clients. help people kind of get the confidence to go ask. Yes, actually, Stella is the salary negotiating expert. Um, oh, nice. So and um and that is part of what we we help our clients like construct the argument and and practice and and give them the confidence to to ask for it and. You know, we've done this now for years. Ninety, I'd say, ninety-nine percent of our clients have either negotiated more, or they've left and negotiated more in a new job. Nice, interesting. Well, I can tell you from um, my perspective, being mm-hmm. a boss and having a lot of employees. You know, somebody asked me for a raise. You know, the worst that can happen is I can say no. Yeah. And you don't get fired because yeah, you asked same. for a raise. Yeah. And I think people have that misconception yeah. that just because you ask, like all of a sudden. You know, you're going to be on the list to be kind of axed. Yeah. So I think it's important people know that. I think it's super. And I want, I would say, I want the team to ask me. I want to ask them to ask me why. And then I'm going to give them the honest response back. Either A, I'm going to, you know, tell them we're a startup and we don't have the money, but I'm going to give you the path and give you the way we can do that. Or, you know, I'm going to give you more equity. I'm going to find a way. And I tell this to our clients, we tell this to our clients, is that if you are a valued employee and doing all the right things, then we're going to find a way to make it work. Right. If you're not and you're not being valued, you might be in the wrong place as an employee right. and, and you need might to be, be somewhere time, valued. Yeah, it might be a, a time for you to go. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because it's better for your path and your career. Mm-hmm. All right. I love on your Instagram page, and I'm going to quote it, mm-hmm. sick of stressing over money? Done. We're simplified, affordable, financial trainers that work with you one-on-one to whip your assets into shape. Mm-hmm. We all need a little bit of assets whipping, I think. I think we all do. We, uh, we say we're at the gym. We're kind of cult-like that we feel like everybody just like... Everybody should be physically healthy and, and hopefully find, you know, a gym that works for you. We feel like everyone should be at our gym. So I saw that recently you were on the Today Show. Mm-hmm. Awesome. And you yeah. said that was, you know, just an epic moment, like yeah. a dream moment for you, which I can imagine. On the show, you talk about um, five numbers you need to know to become financially fit. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like my four S's. Mm-hmm. So I want to go over them because yeah. I think they're um, important. So the first number is 15. What does that number represent? Yeah. So actually, Valerie, before we go into them, I always have to say a disclosure. If you are not there, if you are not hitting any of these numbers, do not be afraid. Do not feel shame. Do not have any, any anxiety. I always say everything we do financially is fixable. So these numbers these are, are goals. Goals. Okay. We want you to work toward this, but these are just some destinations on a map we want to get you to. So 15% is saving your gross monthly income. So if you're making $50,000 a year, you divide that by 12, multiply that by 0.15, and that's your savings number for the month. Great. Six is the second number. What does that mean? That is the amount of savings, your your savings you should have saved in an emergency fund. So um, your your fixed expenses, the bills you have to pay um, every month, multiply that by six, and that'll give you your emergency fund number. All right. The next one is 750. Yeah. Credit score. The um, financially fit credit score we want to have. If you are nowhere near 750, no big deal. We've seen clients with 350, um, up to 850. Credit scores are not a, uh, they don't stay the same. You can change them, but 750 is an excellent credit score. Credit is so important. I mm-hmm. wish I wish more young people understood. They yeah. feel like it's so um, not a big deal to blow it. They'll fix it later. Mm-hmm. Um, something that I, you know, always, always talk about. Protect your credit. It really... It, it comes, in, it comes in a lot of different ways, yeah. so you never know. The next number is two. 
Mm-hmm. The number of investment accounts we want you to have. So people, most people know a retirement account, IRA, Roth IRA, Roth 403B, uh, 401K, TSP. I say all the letters. But um, we also want you investing in a non-retirement account, investing for your middle-of-the-life journey. And a big issue we see with people is having – if they do have more savings, they have a lot of money in a bank account, and then they have their retirement account. And if you are not investing the money in the bank account, you're not keeping up with inflation and – um, and investing is scary. We know it. But I would say people's biggest fear about investing is losing money. And if you are making and you have your money in a bank account that's making less than 1% and inflation is 2 to 3%, then literally your worst fears are happening every single day every to your bank account. Day. You're losing money every single day. And the last number is 35. 35 is your debt to income number percentage. 35% of um, how much you're paying in debts or fixed expenses versus how much of your, your salary you make. And we want that to be as low as possible because – that's the bills you have to pay every month. And a slogan we have at the gym is, what are you working for? And most of us are not working to pay bills. We're working for something bigger in life. And so the lower we can keep that percentage, then the more money we have for the things we really love. Right. And let's just reiterate, um, if you're not there and these, no big deal. and these five numbers are not something that you can achieve right now, the point of your service is to put people on a path to get to these places. Yeah, because most of us don't even know what we should be. We have clients like, I don't know how much I should be saving. I don't know what a good credit score is. I don't know, um, you know what these mean. And we're just giving you direction for things to work toward. All right. So, um, you know, I think you've kind of explained to us um, a lot about the company. Tell us throughout this amazing journey of yours, you know, what is one of the most important kind of lessons that you've learned? Oh, gosh, so many lessons learned. I think the biggest is um, is the value of, of hard work. Um, that's been a consistent theme in my life. I'm never afraid of hard work. I haven't been afraid of hard work. And I tell the trainers, if you have clients who are willing to do the work, they will always get the results. And um, and getting financially healthy, starting a business, uh, negotiating for money, talking to your whoever your partner is about money, these are all hard things. They are all going to take work, but they will all get results, I guarantee you. And what is your actionable advice for someone listening who's just really nervous to kind of start down this path? Yeah, d- take a deep breath. Um, have a glass of wine. Um, it's it's not that big deal. These are just numbers. They don't define you. But um, we get asked all the time at the gym because we have so many people come in with all different situations. And I, we get this asked this a lot. Am I the worst you've ever seen? And what I tell people and our trainers tell their clients is, we haven't seen the worst because the worst is the person who does is not brave enough to work on this. So they haven't come to the gym. They haven't seen us. That's the worst. The people who are brave enough to face it, deal with it, um, become empowered, they're going to get results. 90% of our clients hit their financial goals. Some take longer than others, but um, 90% of our clients are hitting their goals. So what's the simple thing they can do? Call you... Yeah, we have financialgym.com. I always tell people we have a free warm-up call, we call it. It's a 20-minute, 15 to 20-minute call with my warm-up call team people. What I love about starting a business is I get to decide how it's run. And so our warm-up call team people are some of the most lovely human beings on the planet. And their job is not to sell you on the gym. Their job is just to hear your story and determine if we're a good fit for you. So no obligation. You can just call, kind of see how you feel, see if it's right for you. Mm -hmm. They, They are literally incented to not tell you that's the best actionable advice i've heard so far yeah yeah so just talk talk to us feel it out awesome what does uh, success mean to you now success um to me is at this point is building a, a business that i'm proud to be a part of my team's proud to be a part of our clients are proud to be a part of 
and eventually my son will be proud to be a legacy of. Beautiful. Well, I think you've answered all of my questions. And, you know, I just want to thank you, Shannon. Such an important topic. And I really hope that everyone listens to this episode because it's an important one. You know, some of the others might be more fun, but this one is an important one. We have fun, too. We have fun, too. Yes. (laughs) But it's just it's one of those things people, you know, sometimes don't want to deal with because I think what you're doing is incredible. And I'm super inspired by you. So thank thank you. you. Thank you. So I'm going to bring Stella back because I know she has a few questions. So, Stella, I'm going to let you talk to your boss. Yeah, I have a few questions I'd love to ask. Well, my first question is, what is something that you've manifested in 2018? So something that has already come to fruition. Mm -hmm. And then my follow-up to that is what you're manifesting for 2019. Yeah, I love that you're asking that because Stella knows that manifesting dreams is a, is actually manifesting your dreams in 2019 is actually our theme at the gym. And where that started is that it actually happened with the Today Show. I um, years ago said, so we're going to be on the Today Show. I just I, I see it. I see we're going to be talking about money and maybe I'm going to have some drinks with Hoda and Kathy Lee. And then um, literally almost out of the blue in November, we were reached out to by the Today Show. We weren't even pitching them. And they asked me to come on and talk about money and I was in the um, green room with one of my teammates and I was just talking about how I would love to see Hoda and you know literally in front of the doorway walks Hoda Copy and I was like I cannot even believe this moment right now and I was like can I get a picture with you she's like yeah and then my marketing person's like can we do a boomerang and I was like oh my god I can't believe Hoda's doing and my boomerang is always jazz hands because I can't think of anything like more interesting so I was like I do jazz hands Hoda's like I'm gonna do jazz hands with you and I was like you've got to be kidding me (laughs) it's like crazy so we had that and then literally end of the year I said everybody team like we are we're manifesting like let's let's set it big let's it bold. So it is to raise more money for the gym. It is to open up um, three new gym locations and uh, and grow our clients, I think, 10 times. I'm going to have 13,000 clients by the end of this year. Great goals. Yeah. So my other question is, you know, owning a business, raising funds and being a mom, that's a lot of jobs mm-hmm. and it can be such a whirlwind. So I want to know how you stay grounded as a CEO and just a normal human being. Yeah. How do I stay grounded? Any self-care rituals? Self-care rituals. (laughs) Uh, Wine. And uh, I always love when I interview people and they say, I'm like, what do you do to relax? And they're like, I love to go for a run and work out. And I'm like, I wish that was me. I wish I like to like take a nap and drink some wine. Um, But when I started this business, I was definitely working seven days a week um, and I can easily work seven days a week. And about a year ago, it hit me that um, and I had a good friend who said, you know, you should just take like a day off. Like, don't look at your phone, just take a day off. And you do have this as an entrepreneur, this fear of what's going to happen if I'm not looking. Um, But every other weekend, my son's with my um, ex-husband and I do make a point of one day of those weekends to not look at my phone, not respond to anything, not even be concerned about getting on my laptop, which for me was like when I decided this like a year ago was like it's a big deal. Crazy. Right. I was making the craziest decision of my life. And um, of course, the world didn't end and the company didn't fall under. So um, but I but I crack up now thinking about it. So my self-care is literally taking two days a month (laughs) to not look at my my email. And that works for me. 
That's a great, great self-care ritual. <laughs> I do the same thing. Yeah. yeah, we have to unplug. I think we put one of these um, in our Instagram is like, just like anything, unplugging and resetting, you know, we all need it in our lives. Just like computers, we all need to unplug and reset. Yeah. So we need, yeah. we need a charge. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you mentioned this, that you came from a male-dominated industry. Mm-hmm. I mean, we kind of still do. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I would love to know your opinion on what it's like working in something that is the complete opposite of corporate. So this is a startup lifestyle. And also, most of our employees are women. Mm-hmm. How, how has that changed? Yeah, yeah. Um, I love it. I, I love all of it. I, I, don't, I didn't mind working in an all-male-dominated world. What I like more is that I am creating the world that we work in, um, in the space. And I got asked uh, when I was raising money last year, because at the time we hadn't had a male employee and we have one now. And they said, do you not hire men here? And do are men concerned that you have an all-female team? And I said, I mean, how many people are concerned of all-male teams out there? I don't, you know, I, I don't really care. Um, and I said, what I'm looking for in a financial trainer, and people ask me this a lot, is I – I'm looking for somebody who's compassionate, empathetic, wants to help people, and has an interest in personal finance because I can teach anybody what an ETF is and about life insurance and um, and 401ks and IRAs. I can't teach compassion and empathy. And, you know, I can't teach somebody compassion when somebody sitting across from them has a stack of envelopes, which we've seen, a stack of envelopes they don't want to open because they're scared about what's in there right. and they're crying Um I can't teach that. So that's what I'm looking for in my team. And not that men don't have that, but we just see it more when women are more attracted to working for us. Or when we interview, because we've certainly interviewed men, is that they sometimes don't get it. They don't get a lot of the emotion around money because they're not experiencing it. But I'm always happy to hire uh, men and women. Whoever's right for the job. Whoever's right for the job. All right. Well, I think that we have completed our session. And I just, again, want to thank both of you, Shannon and Stella, for being here today. Thank you. And Stella, I hope to have you as my featured guest in a few years down the line. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Talk about manifesting. Stella's got big dreams. Yeah, I'm going to run for office one day. So you just wait. (laughs) I can't wait. I can't wait. Awesome. Well, thank you guys again. And for those listening, um, if you like the podcast, please subscribe on either Spotify or iTunes. And I think that's it for today. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you.